0: It's October 2018 and the RTE Concert Orchestra is getting ready to recreate a little bit of history. A piece of music not heard in over a century is being brought back to life.
1: I knew uh, very little so it's it's really been a pleasure to find out more. It's really interesting person life story and uh, music.
0: This morning in the RTE studios, the 40-piece RTE Concert Orchestra technicians and arrangers are getting ready. The composer is an Irishman you've probably never heard of.
2: What Gilmore did in his time was absolutely
3: amazing. I mean, he was a superstar in his day. Eight or nine years after coming to the United States, his band was leading in the inauguration parade for a United States president.
0: Patrick Sarsfield Gilmour brought music to millions of Americans in the years before radio, the movies, or even recorded music. He popularised classical and opera. His band played at US presidential inaugurations, and he featured on the front pages of every newspaper. But today, most people don't know who he is. How
4: was this guy forgotten? That's the big question.
0: P.S. Gilmore is the man who wrote When Johnny Comes Marching Home. And if you listen very carefully, you'll hear these other Irish superstars paying him a little tribute in Los Angeles in 2015. But apart from that song, it's hard to find any trace of this Irish emigrant who was just 20 years old when he boarded a ship for the 45-day crossing to America. P.S. Gilmore was just one of over a million Irish arriving in the U.S. to escape the famine in Ireland but he was the only one to become a superstar.
4: And this little medal here comes from New Orleans in 1864.
0: Jarlath McNamara has been exploring the history and life of a man he considers to be one of the greatest Irish entertainers.
4: Half inch in diameter at the most. And
0: uh, he's been collecting memorabilia for over 10 years.
4: A collection of 800 single items from Gilmore's career of 43 years in America.
0: Jarliffe's connection to Gilmore is that they both grew up in the same small town in the west of Ireland.
4: I was brought up in Ballygar, County Galway, and it's about 10 miles from Roscommon, and 19 miles from Athlone.
0: Another one of the few people who kept Gilmore's memory alive was also a Ballygar native.
4: A man called Michael Cummins from Milton, Massachusetts. He was originally from Ballygar.
0: Michael emigrated to Boston in 1949, 100 years after Gilmore.
4: And it was him that started this whole research off before the internet,
1: before email and all the rest of it. Well, Pat Gilmore was born here 1829.
0: That's Michael talking to Jim Fahy on RTE radio in 1979 during a visit to the home place of Gilmore.
1: And of course, you can imagine if he left uh, where his hopes were blasted with the famine, what he came to in, in uh, Boston. And, and this is where a man must have proved himself a great genius, a musical genius, anyhow, because he was recognized as one of the outstanding musicians and band leaders in Boston.
4: He was born
1: on Christmas
4: Day, the eldest of four children. The parents sent him to a business mercantile in Atlone called Fallon's X to learn the pub
0: trade. Athlone was a big army town while Ireland was under British rule during the 19th century.
4: There would be up to four regiments coming to that garrison to train. They would also bring their bands, and they're all dressed in their beautiful uniforms, their polished shoes. And this must have been like one of those moments, a special moment that a young lad looks at a Manchester United midfielder and says, I want to play for Manchester United when I get older. Here's young Gilmore. I want to play with a brass instrument that shines so bright that it blinds me.
0: The young Gilmore found himself a music teacher and learned to play the cornet. It's a kind of trumpet, and he became very good at it. But apart from joining the British Army, there wasn't much opportunity for a talented young musician in Ireland during the famine.
4: Gilmore arrives in Boston in 1849 after learning his musical trade in Athlone.
0: 20 years old and fresh off the boat, P.S. Gilmore wasted no time in getting a job as a salesman in a music store.
4: Whilst he was doing that, he was also playing his cornet. And very, very quickly, he was been booked left, right and centre.
2: Come in. Perry, I need you to Can you get a regular cornet
0: too? Steve Dillon has a music store in Woodbridge, New Jersey. He's also a collector of brass instruments.
2: Even an old one, like about this era. Okay.
0: Gilmore playing, became though. such a big star, um, he could have new kinds of musical instruments made for him.
2: We're going to demonstrate... Steve Here's is demonstrating
0: flat. an instrument called an Orpheon. Only two of them were ever made, <laughs> especially for Gilmore's band.
2: This was used in Gilmore's band.
0: There are traces of Gilmore right here, engraved on these musical instruments.
2: It's inscribed P.S. Gilmore, Orphean E-flat soprano. It's the only one ever made. It almost looks like a saxophone. It sounds like a cornet. It is a cornet. It's just wound around a little different. And what was he looking for, novelty? He started in the brass band style. When he came over, he settled in Boston, and he was doing business as brass band. He was a cornetist.
0: In his early 20s, Gilmore was living in a cultural melting pot. Emigration from Europe meant the United States population had doubled in two decades to 24 million and would double again in the next 30 years. And with that came musical influences and tastes from Europe. Romantic music was in fashion. One job Gilmore got early on in Boston would teach him a lot about the music business. He worked for P.T. Barnum, creator of the greatest show on earth.
4: So P.T. Barnum employs him for a short space of time. And Gilmore realises this is wonderful education he's getting. He also probably learned from the P.T. Barnum type of salesmanship. With P.T. Barnum, nothing he ever did was anything other than the biggest, the greatest... Gilmore was very much a showman, not
2: unlike the great P.T. Barnum.
0: While his reputation as a musician grew in Boston, Michael Cummings says Gilmore got his first big break as a band leader in the nearby town of Salem.
1: The Salem Band was recognised as one of the biggest or the best bands going. And uh, when the bandmaster retired, they came after Gilmore. At that time, they didn't seem to have any problem with conflict of interest because the contract read a thousand a year and all he could make on the side. And uh, I'm sure he (laughs) made plenty on the side.
0: Having escaped the famine in Ireland, P.S. Gilmore was now on his way to becoming a star in the U.S. In the early 1850s, he wrote his first big hit, a very personal song full of emotion, and it hasn't been heard in over a 100 years. So we've asked musician Jan O'Brien to bring it back to life.
5: Good news from home, good news for me has come across the deep blue sea from friends that I have left in tears, from friends that I've not seen for years.
1: first one which just really established him was his Good News from Home. His Good News from Home was actually dedicated to his mother, and that went on to become a hit, and not alone but twice. Hit in 1852, and it became a hit again after he died.
5: Good news Good news for me has come across the deep blue sea From friends that I have left in tears From friends that I've not seen for
4: years And the good news from home says that his mother is going to come to America along with his sister, Annie, and his brothers, Henry and John.
0: By the end of the 1850s, Gilmore. His band and his family were living the immigrant dream. He'd recently married Ellen O'Neill. He opened his own music store in Boston.
6: Gilmore & Company's celebrated band instruments, extensively used in the Army and Navy. Prices reduced from May 1st. Circulars sent free by mail. Gilmore & Company, 18 and 19 Harbour Place, Boston, Massachusetts.
0: As well as running his 55-strong band, playing sold-out concerts across the Northeast, before the age of 30, he was also making money in music publishing and promoting concerts. If Gilmore was around today, he'd probably have his own aftershave or clothing brand.
5: This is one of the most remarkable Irishmen of the last several hundred
0: years. Most of Gilmore's story is in America. Jerry Regan helped organise a headstone for Gilmore's grave in New York City on the 100th anniversary of his death.
5: He seemed to be a man of immense charm, but also seemed to have a steely sense of, of conviction. That served him very well.
0: John Ridge and Frank Nocton are from the New York Irish History Roundtable, a group dedicated to the American Irish story. Everybody
7: from the Irish community knew that he was Irish. Uh, Gilmore was often seen uh, present at Irish uh, societies.
3: One of the advantages that uh, Gilmore had was that he was speaking to people in a sense in a universal language. You know, music is understood by everybody. He was bringing people of various backgrounds together and he was creating a universal form of entertainment and, and relief from the everyday drudgery that a lot of people experienced.
7: Of course, uh, brass bands were necessary because there was no amplification. Any public gathering had brass bands. That was the rock music of the day.
0: Michael Cummings says... What set P.S. Gilmore apart was the way he changed the brass band into an orchestra by adding woodwind instruments.
1: In those days, there was just a regular brass band, a marching unit, and the symphony orchestra. Little or nothing in between. When he took the marching band, he cut down the brasses, introduced more woodwinds and reeds, and brought up a balanced band. And the band that that Gilmore left in 1892 is very little different than the modern concert band you have today.
4: Really, it was an orchestra. It was as great an orchestra as any modern orchestra would be today, whether we're talking about the R.T. Symphony or the Andre Rio. It was very much an orchestra with the ability to play dynamics in music, forte, uh, loud, or pianissimo, soft. He put forth classical music good
2: music to the public so the public w- would hear verdi would hear some of the opera classics would hear some of some of those tunes that lent themselves to the concert band
0: gilmore also developed a way of composing that brought marching music and the classics together today in the studio with the rte concert orchestra is arranger gavin murphy preparing for the recording of a Gilmore composition unheard for 150 years.
1: That's the, one of the little melodies that he, These four or five little motifs in this. The first is really obvious, uh, uh, you know, really typical fanfare of the day where we're just starting on the root note. And then a third higher, and this would always be brass. And the left hand, typically trombones. All on the root chord, the chord one. He's in the key of G here. And then...
0: From an early stage, Gilmore knew what appealed to his audience.
1: And a lot of this accompaniment would have been what we'd call like an umpire. And that would typically be the tuba playing that bass line. And this,
0: this right hand... Music like this would come later in Gilmore's life, but in the early 1860s, his most famous song happened because of the American Civil War. Four years of conflict between the North and South, Union and Confederate, tore the country apart, leaving three quarters of a million dead.
4: Gilmore went uh, himself uh, with his band, went into uh, battle.
0: Gilmore joined up and attached his band to the 24th Massachusetts Regiment in the Union Army.
4: He was the band leader, in, in essence, for the, what they call the Burnside Expedition to the North Carolina area to basically create a defense for Washington. Gilmore is part of the advance party that basically takes over Roanoke Island. One of the regiments that lost was called the Richmond Blues. The captain called his men of the Richmond Blues to order and they saluted Gilmore. And Gilmore and his band saluted him back. And then Gilmore put his cornet to his lips. And played, especially for those men, Take Me Back to Old Virginia. It, it speaks volumes about his own character. Many years later, he was uh, sitting down having a brandy. And he was asked, what was his most memorable occasion in the Civil War? He said it was when I played the Virginie song um, to the Richmond Blues soldiers because they were fighting for what they believed in. We were fighting for what we believed in. And you have to respect the other.
0: Almost 200,000 Irish fought in the Civil War, including Gilmore and his two brothers. Jerry Regan says it was a crucial time for Irish emigrants.
5: For the Irish, it represented an opportunity to sh- demonstrate their bona fides as, 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 and become true and loyal Americans. I think the Irish convinced all Americans that the Irish were the real deal. These are true and loyal patriots whose whose devotion to America can no longer be reasonably questioned. And I, I think it's clear that Gilmore represented the, a large part of that uh, That cultural shift in the mindset of
0: of Americans. The Civil War inspired Gilmore to write a song for his sister.
4: Annie marries a fellow called Johnny O'Rourke. He fought with one of the Wisconsin infantry. He is the man uh, who inspired the song. Because Annie is supposed to have said to her, her brother Patrick, I hope Johnny comes home again.
3: When Johnny
7: comes marching home again Hoorah, hoorah We'll
0: give him a hearty welcome then Hoorah, hoorah The origins of the song have been disputed.
4: Some people say that he took it from another song.
0: And while Gilmore did write the lyrics, he explained in a newspaper interview where the melody had come from.
6: It was a musical wave, which I happened to hear someone humming in the early days of the rebellion, and taking a fancy to it, wrote it down, dressed it up, and rhymed it into usefulness for a special purpose suited to the
1: times.
0: Many people say it's the greatest anti-war song ever written.
1: The most famous composition well-known, Johnny Comes Marching Home, is now today recognized as the world's greatest musical plea for peace. Uh, He did undoubtedly write, there's no question about that. Johnny
4: Comes Marching Home is a very unusual song. It doesn't mention a war at all, yet it's a war song. It doesn't mention Victor, are vanquished. It mentions nothing other than the fact that we're all going to be delighted when our boys come marching home.
0: Back in Boston after the war, Gilmore's star was on the rise. His band was growing more popular and he was making big plans.
2: Uh, After the war, he started to put together bands of the brass and woodwind style.
0: That's Steve Dillon.
2: He really refined
4: the concert band to what we have today. He had two huge events, particularly, the National Peace Jubilee and the World Peace Jubilee. Uh, these were events that would make band-aid and live-aid look like karaoke festivals. The National Peace Jubilee was an effort to bring North and South together to play music for five days in Boston in a custom-built stadium.
1: He started out from nothing. He drew plans up. And then hired an architect to go over and so on, and even from that beginning, he drew, went all the way in developing those plans.
4: It seated fifty thousand people. It was five hundred feet long, three hundred feet wide, and hundred and twenty feet high. There was a thousand musicians playing, with ten thousand one hundred twenty-nine of a choir. The National Peace Jubilee brought four hundred and fifty. Thousand people into Boston just for that event over five days.
0: That was more than twice the population of the city.
4: The Peace Jubilee had the world's biggest
2: bass drum, the world's biggest pipe organ, the world's biggest choir. And he understood that this draws people. Barnum did the same thing with Jumbo the Elephant. But Barnum was a different type of showman. Gilmar was a musical showman. And he understood that, that people want to be entertained.
0: Gilmore, the showman was in full flight, and he got a good reaction from the critics.
6: To all those singers and performers, it has given new impulse, a new consciousness of strength, a new taste of the job of unity and effort, a new love of cooperation, and a deeper sense of the divine significance and power of music than they ever had before.
4: He brought in 100 Boston firemen, They were all six foot tall. He dressed them in blue trousers, red tops, and brass helmets. He gave them all full-size hammers. He imported special anvils from Birmingham, England, which were made of a compound that, when they were hit, they would give off a massive spray of sparks. And so, in the anvil chorus, he got all the lights turned down. And if one was living in Victorian Boston and saw that first performance, Maybe you'd be like a Mrs. Dunlap from Chicago, who viewed the performance and was so shocked that she actually had a heart attack and she died. Because what resulted was the colours of the American flag were illuminated from the uniforms of the Boston firemen as they hit each time on that huge anvil. <laughs> Exaggerate his percussion by having 50 full size artillery cannons outside the door. When they went off, you can imagine how the ground would have shook in time.
0: After the success of the first Jubilee in 1869, Gilmore went bigger again in 1872 with a World Peace Jubilee.
4: He went to Dublin, he went to London, Paris, and invited bands from all over Europe to come to Boston why to celebrate the end of the Franco-Prussian war and also to find out how far behind America was musically to the rest of the world
0: this time he had 2000 musicians and 20000 in the choir gilmore even persuaded johann strauss the biggest european star of the time to come to boston
4: They were the biggest musical events by far anywhere in the world, up to Live Aid or Band Aid.
0: According to Michael Cummings, in spite of the all star international lineup, the second event proved to be a little too ambitious, even for P.S. Gilmore.
1: They made a big impact. Unfortunately, even Gilmore's genius and Johann Strauss, he went for too much. He doubled, not only doubled everything, he doubled the days, more than doubled the days. Now he tried to bridge two holidays. He went from June 17th to July 4th, which in, took in over 20 days. And even Gilmore wasn't able to sustain an enthusiasm for that amount of time.
0: These two huge events in 1869 and 1872 made Gilmore the biggest entertainment star in the US. It was around this time that Gilmore wrote a piece of music called President Grant's March. Gilmore had played at Ulysses S. Grant's inauguration, and Grant had come to the National Peace Jubilee while he was working to unify the United States during the Great Reconstruction after the Civil War. In the RTE Studios in 2018, conductor Gavin Maloney is rehearsing the concert orchestra to play the piece of music not heard in over a century.
8: That's
1: great, thank you very much. I just want to request that we really play a little bit more, in the melody, a little bit more militaristic. Um, Gilmour had this band. It was one of his first bands in Boston. And at the time of the Civil War, the whole band joined the Union side and the army and went and fought. And their general was um, Ulysses S. Grant, who became the president. Yeah, so there's a B against a C sharp and an E. It's it's everywhere, Yeah, yeah.
0: After the success of the Peace Jubilees, Gilmore moved with his wife Ellen and his band to the largest city in America, New York.: He was a huge star in this city. Jarlith McNamara is visiting the city to find traces of P.S. Gilmore.: Madison Square Gardens a great example. Gilmore still
4: holds the record for appearing 150 times consecutively to crowds of 10,000 people or more in Madison Square Gardens.
0: This world-famous arena in the middle of New York is where some of the biggest stars perform. But before it was called Madison Square Garden, it was named after the original leaseholder and known as Gilmore's Garden.
4: In Manhattan Beach, which is right beside where Coney Island is today, each year he would appear there for two months with his band. The crowds would vary per day between 4,000 and 72,000.
0: Immigrants were pouring into New York from all over Europe. The Irish were gaining power in the city, and Gilmore was there to entertain them.
3: Circumstances of the Irish in the pre-Civil War period were significantly changed after the Civil War.
0: Frank Nocton says it was a time the Irish were doing well in the city.
3: Largely to the efforts of the Irish themselves and to their leaders, uh, both secular and religious leaders, they fought to get themselves into positions that were more secure, and uh, and they succeeded.
7: Nowhere in American society is there an individual of Irish birth that had such an important part in the public eye as Gilmore did in the 19th century.
0: That's John Ridge from the New York Irish History Roundtable.
4: He becomes central to the whole development of culture, if you like, of New York. Most people have heard uh,
7: around the world of Coney Island, and Manhattan Beach is really part of Coney Island. The railroads brought people directly to the beach. The band was there every summer to play the type of music that they liked. Uh, Gilmore had the booking every year. He was the big star without question. It started uh, as soon as the weather got warm, right up to September. Everybody headed for the beach because... In the days before air conditioning, this was the only possible relief. So this was the Mecca for the entire metropolitan region of New York.
0: Gilmore remained loyal to Ireland. He played six concerts in Dublin in 1878, and he organised fundraisers like this one in 1886 in support of Charles Stuart Parnell's Home Rule movement back in Ireland.
6: Aaron Gibral. Gilmore's Parnell Parliamentary Fund Grand Fundraising Concerts Madison Square Garden New York Afternoon and Evening February 14th 1886
0: Later on that same year Gilmore was at the heart of a very American celebration
7: We are now on our way to the Statue of Liberty at Liberty Island
0: One of the most the famous Statue sites in New York City is the Statue of, of Liberty
1: in 1886
0: it was a Music for the opening ceremony of the Statue of Liberty was performed by Gilmore's band.
8: October 28, 1886... Barry
0: Ford, Moreno is librarian and, and historian at the Statue of Liberty National States. Monument.
8: It was a stormy kind of day. It was, we had grey, gloomy clouds. There was the, the land parade in Manhattan, which they say attracted as many as a million persons. Cannons began to be set off by the army on Governor's Island. And some of the boats in the harbor. And there were many whistles, boat yes. whistles. The captains pulled to have the whistles and the boats. So there was a lot of noise.
0: And at the center of it all was P.S. Gilmore.
8: His duty was the grandest duty of all, the sole band to preside at Bedloe's Island. And Bedloe's Island, of course, now is known as Liberty Island. So he had the best men for the occasion. He realized that this was a major event. Because nothing like this had ever occurred in any American city up to this point, ever. So it was the grandest spectacle in the history of any American city. New York Times, September 1886. The
6: salvos of guns lasted 20 minutes. Gilmore's band played the Marseillaise hymn, Yankee Doodle, and the Star Spangled Banner.
0: It wasn't the first time the bandmaster from County Galway was in the company of a U.S. president.
8: And the president was the Honorable Grover Cleveland. And he announced that that the United States of America took seriously the, the donation of the goddess of liberty and that he would make sure that her light would be unimpaired. And you had the musical control, the organization by the band going on through every moment of the time. There were silences where it was appropriate and there was background music where needed. And then there was a grand moments of music when required. The dedication event, that is one of the great moments that people remember.
0: So if you pay a visit to the statue, remember the opening day music came from an Irishman and his band. An event like the dedication of liberty shows just how much a part of American life Gilmore had become.
7: He was both an American figure and an Irish figure. And this is what the immigrant always strove for. The perfect combination between the successful Irishman who developed Americanism. You couldn't
0: ask for more than this. In spite of being a big star, the Galway-born bandmaster didn't have it all his own way. We've dusted off a song he was hoping would replace the Star-Spangled Banner as a new song for America.
5: Columbia. Our pilgrim father sang thy praise. They landed from the Mayflower's deck. on
0: Gilmore had so much going on that it hardly mattered when Columbia didn't get taken up. He had tours to organise, musicians to pay and new events to dream up.
4: We're standing here right in the middle of New York beside City Hall and it was here... In 1891, Gilmore held the first welcoming in of the new year of 1892. This was a huge occasion because that inadvertently led to the annual event that we all see every year on uh, our television sets where uh, the, the ball descends in Times Square.
2: He developed the concept of touring and and, and going across the country and bringing good music to the public before anybody else was doing it. Could you imagine the sensations that these people felt? You're living out in in a a small town in in the middle of the country, and they say, well, Gilmore's band's coming to town. Well, let's buy a ticket. We're going to hear music.
0: Gilmore worked relentlessly. He lived hard on the road with up to 100 musicians in tow. When he came to town, it was a big deal.
6: The Globe Republican, Dodge City, Kansas. McCarthy's Opera House, Monday, November 25th. Ten steel anvils and six patent breech loading electric firing cannon will be used. And the Great Gilmore Band in New York, conducted by P.S. Gilmore in person, will be heard in all its excellence.
0: When the Transcontinental Railroad joined the country together in 1869, He was fully coast-to-coast, playing gig after gig.
4: Every spring, he would do a tour on the east coast right to the Mississippi. In the autumn, after playing in Manhattan Beach, he would then go and play for two months in St Louis, Missouri. He would then get on the Union Pacific Railroad to the west coast. And this went through Denver and and various cities over to the, uh, eventually ending up in San Francisco.
0: In the end, the lifestyle took its toll. The Galway man, who was the most popular entertainer in America, became seriously ill.
6: St. Louis, September 24th, 1892. Patrick Sarsfield Gilmore, the celebrated bandmaster, died suddenly at 7.15 this evening at the Lindell Hotel after an illness of one day. For a week, it had been evident to those most intimate with Mr. Gilmore that he was far from well. To all inquirers, he replied that he was simply overworked and would soon be all right. Heart disease was the cause
4: of death.
0: He was just 63.
4: When he died, the news spread throughout the world, obviously across America. It was a huge thing. It was bigger than the presidency at the time.
0: Huge crowds gathered on the night his body returned by train to New York.
6: It was eight o'clock before the train rolled into the depot. Long before that hour, crowds of mourning friends and comrades had gathered. And with slow step, the funeral cortege moved. On the casket was a floral piece, a harp with a broken string.
0: It was one of the biggest funerals ever seen in the city.
4: There was an estimated half a million people at his actual funeral. In the procession
6: that escorted the body from the house was a band of over 100 pieces made up from members of the Musicians' Union. The route was thronged with people gathered to pay the only tribute in their power to the beloved musician.
4: An estimated 8,000 women were wailing outside the door for their hero, Gilmore.
0: So why did Ireland's first superstar fall into obscurity on both sides of the Atlantic?
2: Because he died in 92, and that's when the recording era was just starting getting going.
3: The forms of public entertainment in the United States were beginning to change. The motion picture camera, for example, was developed in the 1890s. And maybe the entertainments of the 19th century were being eclipsed a bit. And maybe that's part of the reason why our memory of Gilmore is faded a bit.
4: Gilmore may have fallen between the stools from a technology perspective. If Gilmore had lived for 20 years more, he'd now possibly be remembered in 78s. He left a a total estate of 40,000. It was nothing compared to what Gilmore would have brought in in terms of gate receipts.
0: There are no statues of Gilmore, just a simple gravestone and a very short street in Brooklyn named in the Irishman's honour.
7: It runs one block long and it's uh, very close to where he performed during the summers at uh, Manhattan Beach. Uh, You could miss it very quickly because it's not very big. I see P.S. Gilmore as the
5: quintessential American, and I think it's hugely important to, for him to be held up this way because of the times we're living in, where people in this country who were born outside of the country are held in certain suspicion at certain quarters, in powerful corridors. If you look at the life uh, and the example of P.S. Gilmore, He's an American who is really the father of the American dream.
0: P.S. Gilmore's music hasn't been played or heard in Ireland really since his death in 1892. He wrote many tunes, but today we've dusted off just one, President Grant's March, written in 1869. Gavin Murphy has arranged. 40 members of the RTE Concert Orchestra under the baton of Gavin Maloney are ready and the audience numbers just one. A man from the village of Ballygar in County Galway has come to hear the music of another man from Ballygar. It's the village that links them both, the iconic P.S. Gilmore and Jarlath McNamara.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, that Gilmore is coming home to Ireland is a wonderful tribute, and I thank you so much.
0: So sit back, Enjoy and imagine, if you will, an Irish superstar travelling throughout the US, conducting his band, entertaining the masses in a way that no one had done before him, standing with his baton wafting through the air.